Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Plenty of content in this edition from Unite 2018 presented by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail. First up, Don Piper, declared to be dead as the result of a tragic accident. He spoke with me about heaven and his experiences and material from his new book, Challenging Christians to Consider Whom We Might Be Taking to Heaven With Us. Then it's the NCAA world record holder for oldest football player and oldest player to score a point in a football game. From CBA United's Tom Thompson, who emphasizes fitness, not only of the body, but of the soul. Also at the event, I had a chance to talk with David Teams. He's a musician and an author who highlighted his devotional book that centers around church reformers. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, analysis of the president's nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, from Bruce House Connect to focus on the family, taking a look at the judge's record and approach to cases. And voters in my home state of Alabama went to the polls recently to participate in party runoff elections. Jason Yates of My Faith Votes brings insight about the importance of Christians participating in the voting process. Then back to CBA Unite with author Leanne Mancini, who visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at CBA to discuss her series of children's books that are centered on biblical truth and feature a variety of sea creatures. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. The Unite 2018 event presented by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail, took place recently at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center in Nashville. One of the people with whom I talked was Don Piper, the author of 90 Minutes in Heaven, as well as a forthcoming book, People I Met at the Gates of Heaven, Who's Going to Be There Because of You? Here now, the very much alive Don Piper from CBA Unite 2018. You know, I never really t- planned to talk about heaven, and I certainly never planned to talk about these people. But I'm reminded on a, on a daily basis that these people and many others who have come since them, they influenced me for Jesus. These people brought me my, bought me my first Bible. They took me to church when nobody else would. They, uh, they lived the Christian life in front of me. They were moral people who influenced me for Christ, when I saw them, I was really watching him. These people are the ones who helped me get to heaven. And so the inevitable question for me was, from the beginning really was, who's going to be there because of you? Who is going to be in heaven before because of us? The death rate here on earth is 100%. Mm. We're not getting out of this alive. I've noticed, and I'm sure everyone else has, that, that believers don't usually go to heaven immediately after they make that decision. We hang around for decades somehow. So it, it's an inevitable question. If heaven is a glorious place and it's a prepared place for prepared people and God is taking us there, why does he leave us here sometimes for a long time? I think the answer is so we can help everyone else get there. But that, that takes effort. We have to do something. It doesn't just come naturally. So very realistically, we've got to do those things. And in this book, I not only describe the people who helped me get to heaven in detail. And I hope people fall in love with these people. They're really wonderful. I mean, people that are 18 years old and 82 years old and had, they were teachers of mine. They were classmates of mine. They were neighbors of mine. They were relatives of mine. And, and so the whole confluence of their influence in my life is what brought me to Christ. 
at 16. I didn't know that 22 years later on a lonely highway, I was going to get run over mm. by a truck. So that's what happened. But who are we going to greet at the gates of heaven? So the last half of the book are questions and answers about heaven, what it's like. But more importantly, it's the challenge of what can we do from a practical standpoint to help other people get to heaven? Tell me just a little bit about maybe one or two of the people whom you discuss in this book. Sure. Um, one of them is a classmate of mine, uh, Mike Wood, who um, I, I love this guy. He was terrific. Uh, one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. He got a full scholarship to play football for a major university and was killed right after we graduated from high school. And, um, oh, my goodness, his funeral, hundreds and hundreds of people came. We were brokenhearted, devastated. We were confronted with our mortality because we were 18. And uh, Mike was an incredible influence on my life. He, um, he, he was a longtime believer since he was like seven or eight years old. He was in my Bible study class at, at the church. He um, sat with me in lunch. Uh, in the cafeteria, he and his girlfriend, some other friends. So I really, I really uh, was admired him and respected him. And then he died. And uh, he was always such a faithful person uh, to Jesus and the church. And I just was touched by the fact that somebody that young and that devoted could be taken away, except that he influenced me a lot more than I could ever imagine. And I only knew that after he was gone. He met me at the gates of heaven. Uh, one of my favorite teachers met me at the gates of heaven. Um, Charlotte Janes and she was always concerned about my salvation public school system so she had to be very careful how she did that kind of thing but she influenced me for Christ and she influenced me as a speaker uh, as a communicator and uh, she taught me to be bold uh, in, in when I was speaking uh, she told me that your speech begins the moment you leave your seat to walk to the front that may not sound like it's important but it really is people are watching you all the time and people are watching us all the time, mm. Christians. So these these are a couple of people who influence me, and there's a lot more, obviously, uh, to them and about them. But that's kind of an example of what you're going to read when you read about the people who met me at the gates of heaven. Don Piper here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website donpiperministries.com. Next, it's Tom Thompson, who holds NCAA records for oldest football player and oldest player to score a point. Discuss not only the setting of the record, but also content related to his book, Get a Kick Out of Life, Expect the Best of Your Body, Mind, and Soul at Any Age. From that conversation, this is Tom Thompson. We have looked at uh, the link between physical fitness and spiritual fitness. And when you think about it in Ephesians 6, it talks about the word spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you bring it into the physical realm, uh, when you look at how man treats warfare when you have a basic recruit go through basic training they have a certain fitness protocol and it's the same and then if you have a navy seal or a army ranger they have a certain fitness protocol well if you one's really really hard and one's pretty tough well what's the reason well first of all the protocol is tied to the mission so the mission God has for us in life would determine what level of fitness we need to be in, in my view. And I'll tell you about a study we're thinking about doing to kind of help mm -hmm. with this. But the, the other thing is, is that um, 
the reason for fitness is to handle the stress of battle. Well, we both know that in life there's the stress of battle. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the other thing I would, was going to mention to you about the study that uh, we're, we've proposed, we don't know when we'll get to do it. We're going to take a 33-year-old male that's fit, a 33-year-old male that is unfit, and we know how far Jesus walked a week, 53 miles. Hmm. We know how much blood he lost when he was scourged. We know how much the cross weighed. We know how far he walked with the cross before someone helped him. The hypothesis of this study is the fit man who we take the blood draw from will get to that distance that Jesus walked before somebody helped him. The unfit person won't, which tells us that if we want to fulfill the purpose that God has in our life, we should be physically fit. Very interesting. I I was thinking back, you say 51 miles? 53 miles 53 a week. 53 miles a week. Correct. That Jesus walked. Walked. So, mm-hmm. so Dr. Thompson, if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, you're recommending 53, uh, 53 miles a week? Well, that's what God, if God calls you to 53, then, <laughs> then by golly, you better do it. Uh, and if, but there's ways to, you know, but to understand that yeah. when he was, uh, he, I, right, but his, um, the spiritual side that kept him on the cross was the vision. Yeah. The physical side that helped him stay up there was he was, he was in good shape. He was a carpenter, so he worked his upper body, and then uh, and he was in good cardiovascular fit, shape to have walked all those miles. Well, let's talk about the the mental component. You talk mm-hmm. about the mind and the soul as well as the body, expecting the best of your mind. I think the the mind that arena is where we miss it often as Christians. I think so, and and here's what I would say: the closest physical thing that we have to God is our mind. I think of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that he knows the plans for us, so he he's thinking about us. Well, it's how we you know how does God think about things, and what does God think? And one of the things that I found, if you want to change long term behavioral uh, things in your life that you know aren't good for you, the first thing you've got to do is change the way you think, hmm. and then the second thing is submit your will to that new way of thinking. If all you do is wish and pray and try, you'll go about eight weeks and quit. But you want to be able to have the opportunity to make those long-term changes. How does placing Scripture into one's mind and really thinking in terms of godly thoughts, how, do, how does that affect what we're talking about here? It's fundamental. I mean, literally, I mean, for in my own life, what I try to do, and, and, and it's probably a little cheesy, corny, I read Psalm 91 when I start every day, hmm. and that was my number in college. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I read that every every day, and that sets the tone. It sets the tone. Yeah. There'll be other times I'll do some Bible study and, and get, get more, but... I just think it's the way to start. Tom Thompson here on this edition of The Intersection. His website address is 91kick91kick.com. David Teams visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at Unite 2018 to talk about his 365-day devotional book, Godspeed, Voices of the Reformation. This conversation highlight focuses in on William Tyndale. From that conversation, this is David Teams. 90 to 94 percent of the of the King James New Testament is the translation of William Tyndale, which was 80 years before. Hmm. Tyndale lived. Um, 
he tra- he he was born in 1494 and he left england probably when he was around his early 20s maybe 22 23 whatever and he had to leave england to do an english translation um, and his first his first Bible, the, the first English New Testament, came out in 1526, and it gave us phrases like, "Give us this day our daily bread, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory." In Him we live and move and have our being. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, the Lamb of God. Things that we normally associate with the King James Bible, um, but had their beginning, or at least were introduced into our language through William Tyndale. Tyndale had a way of. As I say in the book, in, in this book and in the other one too, he, he got in that crawl space between the English and the Greek. And <laughs> so he could hear, he could hear, you know, Paul, one of the things we never really think about Paul, the apostle, Paul, is that he had poetic, very powerful poetic instinct. You know, we know he, Gamaliel was probably his teacher. We know he was an educated man, but you just don't sit down and write something like, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have no, have no love, as Tyndale translated it. Uh, uh, you don't just sit down and write a long lyric like that without some serious poetic instinct. And, and so Tyndale, because he was living a life that Paul had lived, you know, with, with, you know, he was being persecuted, he had hounded from out of one town to the next. Because he, because he lived a similar life Paul was living, there was this linguistic empathy that passed between Tyndale and Paul, even though there was a difference of 1,500 years. So it was a delight to do that. But I gave him first chair in here <laughs> uh, because a lot of these guys are experiencing the very same things Tyndale was, you know, the life that they had to lead. How did he actually maybe interface with the Reformers? Luther's, Luther's Bible came out in 1522. Uh, Tyndale's came out in 1526. There are those who say that he was heavily influenced by Martin Luther. Yes and no. Um, Tyndale was his, own, was his own man. You can read some of Tyndale's writings and see how he, he, he was influenced by Luther in certain areas, but Tyndale, Tyndale was his own. He, he, was, he had his own mind about things. Um, you know, there's there's big differences between those two, and I might be veering off a little bit. You know, ten, Luther had the protection of a prince. You know, Frederick the Wise was his was a mm. prince. He had protection of. Uh, he had a wife. Uh, he had a university. He had a lot of levels and a lot of different different ways to be covered. Uh, and Tyndale didn't have that. You know, Luther had the the tower that he he translated his New Testament in, and his his German New Testament became normative German, the same way that the Tyndale's New Testament, 1526 New Testament, became normative English. I mean, you, you consider that, that the English at the time, according to Thomas More, was at the bottom of the pond. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Like, like William Tyndale would say, they, they, they pray in Latin, they bless in Latin, only they curse in English. You know, so the English language was kind of a yokel tongue, you know. But here Tyndale came along and through the New Testament gave it a majesty uh, and a highness that it did not have, and so by the time it was smuggled into England in the 1520s, uh, 1526, and, so, and thereafter, uh, pe- the appetite was was the people were famished for it, and so you can see how another generation of people just feeding on the word, feeding on Tyndale's word, a generation after Tyndale comes Shakespeare, comes the English theater, and then a generation after that is the the uh, the uh, is Shakespeare and the King James Bible, and. Uh, uh, I didn't really I got on a little rabbit trail there, but uh, Luther Luther yep. did a very similar thing with with his people. But they were we don't really know if Tyndale ever actually met Luther. There's some <laughs> speculation question. that he did. Um, he certainly respected Luther, 
but Tyndale took heat that, that Luther didn't. Luther could stay in one place and do his Bible. Tyndale had Tyndale was in Hamburg. He was in Cologne. He was in he was in uh, Amsterdam. Uh, he you know he was on all kind of different places. Uh, Wittenberg perhaps, uh, and he had to he had to learn Hebrew. David Teams here on the intersection. Find out more at David Teams T E E M S dot com. This is the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also through the homepage, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Also through the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well, including recently added content from Unite 2018, presented by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Judicial analyst for Focus on the Family, Bruce House Connect, visited with me recently on the Meeting House program. He provided analysis about President Trump's nominee to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, including opinions in specific cases. From that conversation, this is Bruce House Connect. Well, let's talk about the record just a bit now. As you mentioned, Kavanaugh, clerk for Anthony Kennedy. Judicial philosophy, what do you see out of Kavanaugh versus what we saw out of Kennedy? over the last yeah. so many years. They are different. They are different. Whereas uh, Justice Kennedy would be very strong on issues like freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Um, he would, you know, he would write such opinions uh, as, well, the, the cake shop, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case uh, on freedom of religion just uh, this term. And he's written uh, several others on campaign finances and things like that. There won't be much difference there between he and Kavanaugh, but where you will see uh, Kavanaugh as an improvement on Justice Kennedy is in uh, 14th Amendment issues, whereas whereas equal protection to Kennedy means that I'm going to create uh, dignity rights and liberty right, liberty interest rights, and we're all going to be able to define uh, the existence in the universe in which we all live and, and all that kind of uh, – I don't know, amorphous kind of language that Kennedy gave us on those cases. Kavanaugh is an originalist and a textualist. He's going to go back to what the founders did, what the drafters of the 14th Amendment uh, understood at the time, and and he's going to rule according to that. And he won't he won't go off into the uh, Netherlands, you know, like uh, like like Justice Kennedy always did. Yeah, and Kennedy, of course, probably. I guess if you look at Kennedy's legacy, one of the the main pieces of that would be the Obergefell decision, which he actually wrote the majority opinion of. Of course, that is where the Supreme Court essentially, as many say, created a right to so-called same-sex marriage that did not exist prior to that time. And so that's something, obviously, that Kennedy would be remembered by. I, I think you could actually accurately speculate that if Kavanaugh had been on the bench at the time, that ruling would have not come down the way it did. 
Yeah, that's my take on on Kavanaugh's judicial philosophy. I, I think Kennedy, uh, going back to the Romer case in the 1990s uh, about uh, LGBT discrimination laws, and and then again in Lawrence in in the early 2000s and the finding a right to um, um, or finding a, a, a Texas statute penalizing sodomy, finding that illegal because there's a constitutional privacy right involved. And then he decided the Windsor case, he, and he wrote that opinion, and then he wrote Obergefell, and he's been um, very consistent uh, in his finding a liberty interest that uh, that LGBT folks have rights that transcend uh, the rest of the constitutional rights that you and I have. So that's been a very di- big disappointment over the years. Well, as you point out, Bruce, with Kavanaugh being a textualist and evidence actually to support that, a strict construction is another phrase that's used. Are there maybe a case or two that we could point to with respect to religious liberty and say, you know, here's Here's an instance where Justice Kavanaugh or Judge Kavanaugh on the D.C. Circuit actually wrote an opinion that could give us encouragement in the area of religious liberty. Yes, he has a, he has several opinions that deal with religious liberty, but probably the most notable is the uh, the HHS contraceptive mandate case in in the Priest for Life uh, case, where he found that. The government trying to force a, a religious nonprofit organization to include uh, possible abortion-causing contraceptives in their employee uh, health package violated um, the religious freedom rights of that organization under the federal uh, RIFRA law, R- Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And and because he correctly analyzed that, he he would have found in favor of priests for life, and ultimately his. His view, although it was in a, a minority view on the D.C. Circuit, ultimately was vindicated by what the Supreme Court did in Little Sisters of the Poor and, and Hobby Lobby and, and the other uh, contraceptive cases. So that, that, to me, gives me great assurance that he knows um, how to read a, and decide a religious freedom case. Uh, so that, that that would be the case that I cite to, to most people on religious freedom. Bruce House Connect here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, focusonthefamily.com. Follow the link to the section, Social Issues. The CEO of My Faith Votes, Jason Yates, discussed with me recently the importance of voting, including the November general election. He offered some insight into making an informed choice and talked about resources offered through My Faith Votes. From that conversation, this is Jason Yates. Well, I think there are so many issues at stake, um, but we need to really look at where do we have a very clear intersection between a biblical worldview and the issues that we're voting on. And so when we look at those issues, I would say to your listeners that there are a few issues that we need to stand very firmly on as Christians and to look for those candidates who align with that biblical worldview. The very first and probably most important is the issue of life. And so those uh, candidates that have consistently and and strongly uh, stood up for uh, the sanctity and dignity of life of every human being. Um, and that includes those who look also at the issues of dignity of life in all aspects, um, uh, even after birth. 
Um, so those are important issues. The other is religious freedom. We see all the time um, where business people, um, uh, others are being challenged in the way they live out their life in a daily basis in the public square. And so, yes, our freedoms as Christians to live out our faith, not just in the four walls of our church or the four walls of our home, but in the public square, that is being challenged. And so we need to look for those who uh, stand up for uh, our ability to live our faith freely. And then thirdly, I would just say, um, you know, the liberties and, and the ability of individuals to live their life freely, not necessarily from a religious perspective, but to own their own decisions, um, to have uh, the ability to um, not have gov government control. I think uh, Jesus made it very clear that he expects people to not live compelled lives, but to be able to live their life freely from their own choices. And so that's an important value that I think voters should consider when they go to the polls as well. And when we think about people being able to live freely without government, if we might say coercion, obviously there is a sense of, of common morality that's rooted in the scriptures that we see being lived out in areas such as life or the sanctity of marriage and things of that sort. When you talk about government compulsion, I think that we're seeing just a trend all across the country where you have, say, those in the judiciary that are making making decisions that inhibit that freedom, and specifically, as you mentioned, religious freedom, the freedom of people of faith to actually be able to, to live out their beliefs. And so, you know, while we do have the judicial branch where so much of that is originating from, still the, the other branches of government have, in our system of checks and balances, the opportunity to, to bring influence in those areas. They do. They absolutely do, both in the laws that they put forward, the bills that they put forward and vote on, but also uh, in the way that, I mean, you talk about the judiciary, the way that they confirm judicial appointments. And uh, let me just point out that we're at a place right now where we have uh, a, a very important uh, um, opportunity uh, for a Supreme Court Justice, another one to be uh, appointed to the bench. And uh, we know that uh, President Trump has put forward uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and I believe that this is a person that does stand for religious freedom, that stands for the uh, interpretation of the uh, Constitution as it was written, as well as someone who stands for life. And so uh, this is someone that I would encourage all the listeners as well, aside from voting, I know we're talking about voting, but to uh, contact your senators and show your support for uh, that appointment. Jason Yates here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website myfaithvotes.org. Now back to CBA Unite 2018 in Nashville. Leanne Mancini, an adjunct professor at South Florida Bible College and Theological Seminary and author of the Adventures of the Sea Kids series, discussed the concept of that series and the latest book, Forever with Jesus. 
Here now is Leanne Mancini. Well, it started a long time ago when my children were little, and that was about 20 years ago. I was looking for books that actually showed children having a difficult situation and how they either prayed to Jesus asking for help or guidance and also uh, teaching them how to be like Jesus, being kind and compassionate. And I really couldn't find that type of book. I found a lot of books that, you know, talk about Jesus and talk about morals and talk about values. But I wanted books that actually showed my children what to do in a particular situation. So I wrote some of these stories 20 years ago, dusted them, put them away, and just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit throughout the years to bring them out. And now we have an air of self-publishing. And so we're with GLM Publishing, uh, which stands for God Loves Me Publishing. And we're just excited to bring these books out. And they've been very well receptive with the teachers and the kids and parents. Well, that's awesome. So why the, the sea motif? Children love <laughs> underwater. <laughs> And, and if you look at the pictures, they're extremely vibrant. There's not mm. a white page on, on any of the pages. And they just love, they just love sea creatures. They Why just is love that, it. you think? You know, <laughs> not I don't... to put you on the spot or anything, yeah, but... I don't know. I guess it's because it's not of our world. They see everything in our world day to day. But then when you go down under the water, it's a whole new environment and it's exciting for them. Well, I want to ask you about two different books. One is your latest, Forever with Jesus, and I want you to take us back to that first book and the story that you wanted to communicate as you talked about these situations and helping kids see themselves in various situations and make decisions. So take us back to the first book. What was the the story there, and what did you want to communicate? Yes, the first book was Fast Freddy. He's a sharktopus. He's half shark and half octopus. And he starts the first day of school, the children make fun of him. And it's a common thing when you're different that little ones just don't accept you. And we had in my daughter's school, there was a child who was different and who wasn't accepted and who was kind of like not bullied so much as as just ostracized. They wouldn't do anything with him. And that was the first story I wanted to talk about with children is that we're to accept each other and love each other for our differences. And Freddie prays to Jesus, asking for him, you know, to help him and for the friends to like him. And so um, the kids start to get to know him after he joins the swim team. And they start to like him because they learn who he is. Uh, for him, his heart and his mind. And then he wins the, helps him win the championship, and that's just an added bonus. Well, let's fast forward now. Forever with Jesus is your most recent book. Tell me just about uh, a bit about that. Yes, I was praying to the Lord, as I always do, asking him, what do you want me to write? You know, what is the topic? And to guide me, Holy Spirit, everything is always, I ask the Lord's hand mm, be in it. Sure. And I went to, to the college the next day, and one of my associates said, hey, I have an idea for the very next book you have to write. And I said, good, because I was just asking the Lord, what would you like me to write? And he said, something on death or divorce. And, and you know, this day and age, children there's so much death around us, it just seems like more and more. And so I wrote this book about how children learn about sin, salvation, and that Jesus paid the penalty for that. And so forever, they will live with him in paradise, and they do not have to fear death. Leanne Mancini here on The Intersection. Learn more at glmpublishing.net. 
We're nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You can also find the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading the app for your smartphone or tablet when you visit faithradio.org. And through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. There's also The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.